Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles and open them up, been a long time since I've been in the Old Testament. First Kings, First Kings. I'm not sure where I want you to go yet because I'm going to have to tell some of the story. Or I'm not going to make through it all. Just to let y'all know, I did preach this sermon before. I think it was somewhere around 14 years ago, so I think we're good. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with Elijah? When you hear the word Elijah as an Old Testament prophet, what do you think of? Mount Carmel is the story. I mean, in the story of Mount Carmel, which we're going to read through because it's prevalent to what is going to happen beyond that. Um, what happened on Mount Carmel? Um, what kind of a guy would you say Elijah was? A man of faith. I like that answer because he is a man of faith, right? I mean, he is enough of a man of faith that as a prophet, God sent Elijah to Ahab after he married Jezebel and built an altar to Baal and killed all of God's prophets except the hundred that Obadiah took hid in caves by fifties, and Obadiah fed these hundred prophets um, for as long as he needed to. Now, Ahab, and you can check his bloodline, you can read starting around the 17th chapter of uh, of 1 Kings, you can read about the bloodline of, of Ahab, when Ahab, uh, Ahab's dad was considered one of the most evil individuals in the world at that time. Ahab was worse than his dad. So if you could imagine Ahab, and when you read the description, he was not, he was not a dude who was liked by God at all. Ahab was not a dude that was liked by God at all. Because he had gotten them in the fix that they were in. Pretty much God had been driven out of Israel. Anyone who anyone who said anything, uh, they killed. Um, so God is like, hey, Ahab, I'm about to send you in. What do you think? What's the first thought on Ahab's mind, do you think? When God's like, I'm going to send you in? He was a man of faith, right? You won't find any evidence in this story up to that point. Huh? Both. Ahab was the king at the time that Elijah was on Mount Carmel. Ahab was an evil man. Elijah was the prophet that was sent to Ahab. Elijah was faithful because he was boldly doing what God told him to. And God, he also provided for him Obadiah, which Obadiah was someone who was under the rule of Ahab, so he served him. But it says specifically that Obadiah was a man who feared the Lord, a man who it mattered to him what the Lord thought about what he did. So he runs in, he runs into Elijah, and Elijah says, Hey, I need you to go tell Ahab that I need to meet with him. And of course, Obadiah, paraphrasing, what else are you going to ask me to do? I've saved a hundred of the prophets. I've put them in caves and I've fed them. Now you want me to go tell Ahab 
that you're here so that when he comes to find you, you're gone, and when that happens, he's going to kill me. Obadiah's going, you're asking me, this dude has been looking for you. And you're asking me to go tell him, Elijah's here, first of all, how do I know that? How am I supposed to explain to him that we've been looking all over the country, and here he comes walking up to me and says, I need to talk to Ahab. He's going nuts. But here's what Elijah told him. He said, go tell Ahab that I'm here. I promise you that Ahab will see me tomorrow. He will see me tomorrow. So he made the promise to Obadiah. Obadiah arranged a meeting. And this meeting just so happens to happen on Mount Carmel. So we're going to start in chapter 18, reading with verse, starting with verse 20, and I'm going to move as fast as I can through here to see if I can get, it, get to the point that I feel like the Lord wants me to get to. Verse 20 says, So Ahab messed among all of the sons of Israel and brought the prophet Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord God follow him, and if Baal follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen, let them choose one ox for themselves, and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other ox and lay it on wood, and I will not put fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God." And all the people answered and said, that is a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them. They prepared it, called on the name of Baal from the morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. Now here's the deal. Now Elijah's taunting. These guys have been doing this for hours. Their god hasn't answered yet. And he's going, maybe you need to talk louder. He can't hear you. Or maybe he's occupied. He's busy doing something else. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's taking a nap. So he's aggravating these guys and going, what, is your God too busy to show up for you? You 450 prophets, you guys all asking for him to show. He's too busy to show up for you guys? So it's just infuriating these guys. So they go further. Verse 28 says, so they cried with voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. It came about when midday was past that they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all of the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. He repaired uh, the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood 
and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers of water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Then it came about at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Israel, and Israel to, I'm sorry, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Jacob translation, your Bible might say. Today, let it be known that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of heavy shower. Now, to fill you in, make sure you know what's going on there. Ahab was in trouble with Jezebel in the first place because Ahab was the one that, or uh, uh, Elijah was the one that told Jezebel that, that there was going to be a drought. Shared the information, said there's going to be a drought. It's not going to, it's, it's not going to rain. It's going to dry up. Well, who did they blame for that? Elijah. I mean, God wasn't even a big enough part of the picture that these people actually blamed Elijah. And that was why they were looking for him in the first place. This guy caused a drought. We need to find him and put this drought to an end. But after the people repented and after the people who were, who were to be punished were punished, what did Elijah say? You better find some cover. I hear the sound of water. It's about to start raining. 40, 41, start back with 41. Now Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat, drink, for there is the sound of the roar of heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. He said, go back seven times. You may have just done something that was pretty amazing. But then you kind of wondered if the promise was really going to be fulfilled. Because Elijah knew. God said there's going to be a drought. He knew. His, God's people turn, turn back to him. What does God do? He usually fulfills the promise. Why was there a drought? Because King Ahab led all of Israel's people into Jezebel's clutches. Elijah shows up, goes to the top of Mount Carmel, challenges Baal, challenges all the prophets of Baal. God shows up in a big way. Not just shows up, shows up in a big way. Not just fire fell from the sky and consumed the burnt offering, but fire fell from the sky and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stone, the dirt on the ground, and all of the water that was inside the trench. Did God show up? When Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel and he squatted down, put his head between his knees, and he sent a servant over to look, what was he worried about? Is it going to rain? Is 
How many times do we see God move in a major way in our life? But we take no more than one or two steps and we become like Elijah. Because what will Elijah just do? The very reality of the human, the material human being on the planet, what did he just do? Huh? God just did something miraculous. And he did it through Elijah. But what else did he do? So the prophets of Baal have all been slain, right? Uh, God's seen this thing through from beginning to end. The ones that didn't convert died, right? Let's keep reading this very interesting story. Verse 45, so it came about in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. But these things crack me up, and I get a kick out of them. And they're, they're sprinkled all over Scripture where things like this have happened. Uh, Philip, after he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, gone. Uh, was it Nathaniel or Nathan with, with Paul? It was the same thing. Uh, scales fell from his eyes, and boom, he was gone. Nathaniel was gone. Uh, this is a situation where you, you heard what it said. It came about a little while. The sky grew black with clouds, wind. There was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. What was Ahab likely riding? A chariot, probably, because he's a king. He would have been in, in one of the most mobile things they had available, which back then would have been a chariot. So a horse and chariot, okay? He takes off for a Jezreel. Now, it's not a dress, but it was a lot like running in a dress back then. You had to lift your skirt to free the knees. And as soon as he saw the clouds, Ahab's gone, he lifts up his skirt and takes off running and outruns that chariot <laughs> to Jezreel. How many times has God shown up so far in this story? A whole bunch of times he's already shown up in this story, right? I mean, you think about the number of ways that God affected this. He sent Elijah, right? He also had Obadiah there to help Elijah, right? He showed up in a big way on the mountain. He showed up in a big way when he fulfilled the promise and the clouds popped out and started to rain. And then he turns around and supernaturally blows past a chariot on foot. Sounds like a guy who knows the Lord, right? But we already know that he questioned once whether the rain was coming. Verse 9, or chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She's basically saying, you kill all my prophets, you're going to end up the exact same way by tomorrow. Verse 3. 
Now, these may seem like the first four most amazing words you would ever see after this experience. And he was afraid. How many prophets did Baal have? 450? He wasn't afraid to face the king, Ahab. But now Jezebel steps up and she says, you killed all my prophets and by tomorrow I'm going to make sure you beat the same end. And he was afraid. Seem odd to you? We see God do these big things. And when we see him do these big things, the faithful thing is to say, when you find yourself in the middle of another one, the faithful thing to say is, God's got this. He's had it so many times before in my past. There is so much evidence out there that God's got this that I just believe God's got this. Am I talking down on Elijah? We're exactly like him. We're exactly like him. Now, last week I talked, and we've been talking a little bit about how God deals with us as children. This relationship that we have with him. There are circumstances in our life where God always understands our fear. I'm a big believer in one of the reasons not the main reason, but one of the reasons Jesus came in the first place to live that, that perfect physical life was so we could relate to every one of us. He knows what a human being's heart feels like when they are personally being tempted, when they're personally being pushed, when they're personally being persecuted. He physically knows how that, how that feels. Why didn't God just take, his, take uh, Elijah out? I mean, just seeing him do all of that stuff, really? And now Jezebel, one person who has no prophets, says, I'm going to kill you just like you killed my people. He was so afraid. So what does he do? Verse 3, and he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, where, uh, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. He requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. What follows faithlessness? Guilt. How many of you guys have honestly heard the voice of the Lord, willingly rejected or denied what God was trying to do, and didn't feel guilty about it? Because I know we all qualify for the first two, right? All of us have been in situations where God, we knew what God's expectations were about that particular scenario, and we choose willingly to not do it. Most of the time it's to protect something with us. 
there's some shame here. There's some fear here. Elijah's like, I am not the person that my forefathers were. I am not the person that I thought that I was. Just let me die. Just take my life. Verse 5 says, And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and he drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the, son, for the sons of Israel, have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thy altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth, and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great strong wind was rending the mountain, and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. And it came about when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Have you ever done something you was afraid the Lord was going to smack you down for? That you really thought there were going to be consequences by God that was going to be handed down to you. Here's the deal with Elijah. He's no different than David. He's a human being. And God knows enough about us as individuals to know what our shortcomings are, to know how to strengthen us in those shortcomings, to know what our discouragements are, to know how to encourage us in those discouragements. He's not standing over us ready to crack us over the head. We make mistakes. And the thing is, you want to know where you want to know where I ask all the questions, where that comes from? It comes from that. It's where I got the me asking questions thing from. And here's why, because to me, this is the coolest thing under the sun. Elijah had just been unfaithful to God by hiding when God told him to go somewhere. And there are people in the world who believe that God would have been in the strong wind. That God would have been, I mean, that strong wind that says even broke rock. Not just the strong wind, but some people would think that God's in the fire. Why? It's his form of judgment. Maybe God's in the fire. Earthquake. Those show power and force, don't they? But last he heard a gentle breeze. And when he responded to that gentle breeze, he got up, walked to the face of the cave. After Elijah had told God every one of his concerns, God asked him, the exact same question. 
Here's how it happened. What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, I'm the only one of your guys left. I've served you wholeheartedly, and I've served the sons of Israel, and this is all on its ear now. Strong wind, earthquake, fire, gentle breeze. Walks out to the mouth of the cave. After God hearing everything he just said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What was his point? God doesn't want to beat us down. He wants to make us better. He don't make somebody better by beating them down. The point that he was making to Elijah was you're in this cave because you chose to be in this cave. You're afraid because you chose to be afraid. You don't know what to do because you're convinced that it's you doing it. Basically, God's saying, you want me to prove to you that you don't trust me in this moment? Why are you in this cave? Why are you here? Do you get the difference in approaches? He could have approached Elijah and said, Elijah, after everything that I've just done for you, after everything that you've just experienced in the last 24 hours, really? But he didn't. Elijah, what are you doing here? I'm alone. I I serve you and now Jezebel's seeking my life. I Elijah. What are you doing here? Said it twice always means something in scripture. And this is what it means. If you're afraid it's because you choose to be. If you're unfaithful, because you think the gospel is too hard to share, because holding people accountable, accountability partners, is uncomfortable. If we look at our lives right now, any part of it that's outside of the will of God, He's not going to rock your world with an earthquake. He's not going to set your house on fire. He's just simply going to say, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this place, hiding from the fears and the troubles of this world? What are you doing in this place? You're not accomplishing my will because you can't do that from a cave. When you hear the voice of God, how do you hear him? Interesting thing, the more I thought about this. It can be used as a positive, too. Where are you all sitting today? What are you doing here? 
hopefully we're meditating on God's word, we're finding ways to serve him, ways to do outreach and proclaim the gospel, and hopefully that's what we're doing as a church because that's what we're called to do. But if you ask somebody as an individual, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Because I'll tell you what, the church is not much different than a cave. Some people really like to hide in the church. Just like Elijah liked to hide in the cave. In those circumstances in life, what are you doing here? The answer to that question brought one thing to Elijah's mind, first and foremost. As long as we're in a place that God doesn't want us, we're not useful to him. When we study the Bible and we ask the Lord to convict us in every angle of our life, those convictions are supposed to be pulling us out of that mentality. And I can tell you, if you, if you're, if you feel like you're having convictions and God's actually yelling at you and beating you over the head, it's probably been going on way too long. Because I'm not saying he won't get to that point. I'm just saying he don't start at that point. Okay? It's a relationship. He loves us as his children. We should love him as our father. And you think about it. Although, again, I remember, I know that the, the, there's an awful lot of fathers in this world who were not perfect fathers. But that's what, this was, that's what the family was built after. To have a protector and a provider. To have someone who could give you the advice that you needed in the, whatever circumstance you're going through in life. And what's beyond me is this. People will actually stay where Elijah was at and live there. They will live in that spot their whole life. God's not asking the question, Elijah, what are you doing here? Because he's expecting Elijah to answer the question. That's not what he's asking. He was trying to get Elijah to get the point. Elijah, what are you doing here? If Elijah answered that question, what's the only answer he could give? Yeah, when it comes to the productivity, though, nothing. Plenty of negatives going on. He's afraid. He's hiding. If you're forced to ask that question, what are you doing here? Nothing. And if you are ever in a place in the world where there is nothing to do that pushes forth the will of God, I can guarantee you that that is a place that you should not be. It's a place we shouldn't be. Elijah's a human being, and you are too. David was the same way, a man after God's own heart. Committed conspiracy, conspiracy to commit murder, murder. Was still called a man after God's own heart. Because you see, this isn't about you being perfect. It's about you being even as imperfect as you could possibly be right where God tells you to be. Is it scarier out there? Yep. Potential for, for you to be ransacked because you're a believer in Jesus? Yep. Spooky out there? Mm-hmm. But it reminds me of a Tales song. 
God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's watching over you and me. You surprised? Four kids, two grandkids? It's not a surprise. The truth is, I liked it so much, I watched it after they went to bed, too, though. <laughs> We got to know the God we serve. And we also got to know that once in a while in life, all of us are going to find a reason to go into a cave. And we sit there and we wait for God to show up in a big way and just rattle our cage. Don't listen for the cage to rattle. Listen for that still, small voice. The chaos around you will try to drown it out. But God is in the still, small voice. Because his intention is not to destroy you. It's to restore you. But if you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. It's the simplest thing under the sun. Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rode from the grave three days later. Yes, there's an awful lot to learn besides that, but I'm here to tell you that that there is the key to salvation. It can't save you, but if you will walk up this aisle... The Holy Spirit convicts you. I would be more than happy to uh, pray with you, to talk to you. If you have a desire to to uh, be baptized, a desire to uh, become a member, whatever the, it may be, please. That being said, believer, how many of you guys are at the very least standing at the mouth of a cave right now? choice is will we pay attention to what God's done in our life and trust him through this which means we turn away from the cave opening or do we succumb to all of our fears and run into the cave and hide I am praying for the strength of the Lord for you in every day of your life because there are plenty of circumstances in life to push us into the cave. And my hope and my prayer is that during this invitation song, you hear a still, small voice and that the Lord would deal with you in his gracious and patient way as he always has. Prepare our hearts to be obedient to him and whatever he may say and leave this place today a little bit more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.